Amen. Boy. Oh, I'm ready to preach this morning. You ready to hear it? Bring it on. It's not too bad, Mike. It's some good stuff, though. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the message this morning. I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray again, let our eyes be focused on you this morning. Lord, even as we talk about the Antichrist and the false prophet, the beast, and, and all these kind of things that are part of Revelation, Lord, let us keep our eyes and our focus where it belongs. Lord, let us keep our eyes upon you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Speak to our hearts through your word. Lord, that we wouldn't just hear it and it leave, but we, it stays with us. It affects us. It, it causes us to affect those around us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, we covered Revelation chapter 12, and it was the beginning of a three-chapter narrative in Revelation that the Apostle John has given. So, uh, remember, what we see in chapters 12, 13, and 14 are an overview of the entirety of tribulation. So, when we talk about tribulation, it is how long? Seven years, right? This is not, this is, this is 101 type stuff, right? Tribulation is seven years. So far, we've seen the seven seal judgments. We've seen the seven trumpet judgments. And then now what we're seeing is an overview of the entirety of the tribulation before we get into the bowl judgments. Now, we also see that this portion of Revelation contains an incredible amount of imagery. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of imagery, right? So last week, we saw the woman. Who is the woman? Israel. We saw the dragon. Who is? Satan. And we saw the child. Who is? Jesus Christ. Amen? So at the end of chapter 12, we see that Israel is in a place of protection. Now, there's historically... Uh, there's some interesting places where that protection could be, and the most thought area is a place called Petra. How many ever heard of that? If you've ever studied Revelation or looked at Israel, it's a place called Petra. Uh, how many remember the band Petra in the 1980s? Yeah, it was not a great one, but uh, <laughs> they were they were big within the Christian rock scene, so that was good. Uh, anyway. So they go to a place of protection. Israel, the woman, is in a place of protection, and Satan wants to go after them but cannot. They are protected from him, and he is closed off now from heaven. So we saw Satan cast like lightning from heaven. We see that both in his origin as the enemy and now here at the end where he has no place to accuse the brothers. He has no, no place to accuse you in the end. So he, he, gets, he gets mad, he gets enraged, and what happens when somebody gets enraged? They throw a tantrum. Amen? It's just how it goes. Someone gets enraged, they throw a tantrum. And so, since he cannot get to Israel, he is going after her offspring. Who is the offspring? That's us. The offspring are those who keep the commandments of God and have a testimony in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a pre-trib believer, meaning that you believe that believers will be taken before the tribulation or pre-trib, right, before, uh, you wouldn't be around for this part. You're already gone. But there are believers that would be here after what we would call the rapture, right? So people that, uh, people that believe in Jesus Christ after the rapture hold faith in him. This would include them too, okay? So if it's 
If it's us and we're a part of it, there we go. If we're already gone, God bless you. I'll be happy where I'm at. Amen, Steve? Amen. Hallelujah. So this week, we see that continued. We see the narrative continued, and it starts off with some really crazy images. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1, and it says this. I know, it's scary stuff. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. It says this, 13 verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. That is uh, John the Revelator. He is standing on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, say seven heads, and ten horns, say ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and his heads a blasphemous name, or on his heads a blasphemous name. John in his vision is standing by the sea. He sees a beast rise up out of it, seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns, right? The symbolism or the images of the heads and the horns, how many, it sounds a little familiar, and if it does, it's because it's the same image as the dragon. It is like the dragon, but it is not the dragon. Keep in mind that this is not Satan that we're referring to. This is not the dragon that we're talking about. This is not Satan. This is the beast. It says this in verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. Now, how many have ever seen a leopard? I've not seen a leopard up close, but I've seen one on TV, right? I've seen one on the internet. Uh, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Now, this is a conglomeration of three different animals. I can't really tell what exactly it would look like, but I imagine it would be pretty strange. It says, the dragon, or Satan, gave him his power, his throne, and great, say great, authority. Now, this is a portion of Scripture which calls for some speculation. It really does. Some believe it's all historical. Some believe it's all futuristic, and some believe it's a mixture of both. So what do the images in verse 2 mean? What makes it so interesting? Well, the vision that John is seeing here is very close to the same vision that is had by a man named Daniel. Now, Daniel in chapter 7, he writes this. He has a vision of four beasts rising from the earth, and he says this. He, he gives incredible detail. Okay, the first three beasts... Incredible detail. Now, what's so incredible about, about the first three beasts? The first is a lion. The second is a bear. The third is a leopard. But the fourth beast, this thing is so unspeakably horrendous, he can only describe it in this way. After this, I saw the night visions. And behold, a fourth beast. Dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, this is not from Revelation. This is from Daniel. But it sounds awful similar, doesn't it? So what was prophetic for Daniel is now somewhat historical for us. So most theologians will agree in this. The first three beasts, the, the lion, the bear, and the leopard, those are historical for us. 
prophetic for Daniel. Most historians will say this, or theologians will say this. The first refers to the Babylonian Empire. That historically, the Babylonian Empire would be the lion. The Medo-Persian Empire would be the bear. And the leopard would be the Greek Empire. That Daniel saw images that lend themselves to the representations of those empires. That would be historic. However, we're looking at the future. And then we see the fourth beast, right? The fourth beast is viewed as both historic and future. What is the historic view? The historic view is that it is the Roman Empire. That Daniel is seeing the Roman Empire come to life. And you can't notice, but I mean, you can't help but see how incredibly similar Daniel's vision is to John's vision. Ten crowns. Ten horns, right? Historically, we see this as the Roman Empire. What many theologians believe, and this is what's interesting here, is that the beast coming in Revelation is a continuation of the beast found in chapter 7 of Daniel. What that means is that the, the beast, and just so you know, the beast here we're talking about is Antichrist. That the Antichrist would come out of Rome. Now, there's a lot of speculation here. Remember what I said. It's interesting stuff. This is more teaching than preaching. But it's a lot of interesting stuff. Some of it is speculation. And honestly, it's all really academic. How many know so far it's just kind of academic, right? But let's break down what this means. So the beast in Revelation is the Antichrist. Everybody gets so concerned about the Antichrist all the time. How many heard... How many have heard that somebody in the past, historically, was the Antichrist? Anybody? I did. How many heard? No, I'm not going to go there. I know. No, I'm not going to go there. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I got I to gotta be smarter than that. Listen, here's the interesting thing. It means this. If the interpretations are correct, it means that the Antichrist will come out of a Roman Empire, right? So remember, there are many Antichrists, those who have the spirit of Antichrist, but here we are referring to the man who will be a main player in Revelation, okay? He will lead an empire and he will seek to rule the earth. How does he do that? How does he do that? If you look at the language here, it speaks of ten horns. Now, it's a weird picture, isn't it? Ten horns. Ten crowns. Seven heads. It's a weird picture. The idea here is that the Antichrist will set up a worldwide government of ten regions or ten rulers over those regions, and he will rule over all as the beast that comes out of the sea. As the Antichrist. It's weird stuff, right? In fact, it's kind of scary stuff. It's kind of, wow, I mean, this could really happen. This is political upheaval. Think about how fractured we are as a country right now. Can, can we talk about this? Think about how fractured we are as a country right now. Think about the political climate in our nation right now. I'd be crying too. 
Think about the culture as a whole. We live in a culture that calls up, down. We live in a culture that calls left, right. That calls boy, girl, and girl, boy. There is no absolute truth anymore, right? There's no absolute truth. There's no firm definition of truth. But rather, everything is fluid. And because everything is fluid, everything is subjective to however people feel. That's the state of our culture right now. That's the state of our society right now. In many ways, the world we live in seems unreal. It seems unreal. And listen, when I tell you to cheer up because it's going to get worse, this is the worst that I'm referring to. Okay, I say it kind of in a funny way. Well, cheer up. It's going to get worse. Listen, it is going to get worse. The entirety of humanity living on the earth is going to be in a political upheaval with one person to rule them all. I like what this commentary says. This world leader is really empowered and supported by Satan. The Antichrist, through this man, Satan will express his own desire and authority. So, how does this happen? How can we identify who this will be? Well, we have a few clues. Verse 3 says this. I'm going to take a drink first. Dramatic pause. Verse 3, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. Say healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. There will be a man that will suffer a head wound. In verse 14, we'll see this in a little bit, a little bit later, we'll see that this is caused by a spear or a sword of some type. He will appear as if he's dead. And then his wound will heal. Now, he will make a miraculous recovery. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Verse 4 says this, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. So they were worshipping Satan through the Antichrist. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse 5 says, And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for, uh, here's, a, here's a familiar number, 42 months. How long is 42 months? 1,260 days, which is three and a half years, right? Verse 6, then he opened his mouth to blaspheme, in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Now, there's something really interesting here. Go to verse 5. Uh, go to verse 5 there. It says this. We just read this. He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. He was given authority to continue for a specific amount of time. Specifically, three and a half years. Then it gets more intense, right? It seems for 42 months or for three and a half years, he uses words. He's speaking blasphemies 
against God, the tabernacle, the church. He's speaking blasphemies against God's followers. It, it seems like he's using words here. But then it gets more intense. It, he, he now starts to take action. How many know there's a difference between words and action? Okay. Anybody know the difference? With action, you take action. That's it. I used to get, oh, I was actually talking to my son about this this morning. I once got in a fight in school. This kid was throwing words at me. He was throwing words, and, and, and they were, I could hear him, and they were making me matter and matter and matter. You ever been there, Mike? Oh, yeah. How many ever been there? How many have ever been called names? I got matter and matter and matter. He was using words. I decided to use action. It did not work out well. <laughs> I got in trouble. I told my son. He used words. I used action. There's a big difference between words and action. It's an escalation. It's an escalation of the situation. And here's what happens here in verse 7. It says this. It was granted to him. Again, look at that. The authority that's given to him. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Verse 8, all those who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names, listen, have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He will make war against the saints or the church, and he will overcome them. Now, again, if you have a pre-trib view, you're gone. If you don't, you're probably here, <laughs> okay? Or unless, you know, we're taken before all of this takes place. Now, the post-trib view is this. This is the church. That Satan or the beast is given authority to overcome them. Is given authority to kill them. Regardless of who they are, whether it's pre-trib or post-trib, many will be killed by him and the world will worship him. Verse 9 says this, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. This is what John is writing. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. John is speaking specifically about those who would try to overcome believers. Those who would overcome believers, if they lead into captivity, they themselves will be led into captivity. Speaking of those who, who, who go after believers, he who kills with the sword will also be killed with the sword. Here, listen to this, is the patience and the faith of the saints. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. I like what this commentary says. It said this, though they are vicious, viciously attacked by the Antichrist and his followers, the saints of God must keep steadfast faith in the ultimate justice of God. He will reward their persecutors with persecution of his own. Say, of his own. Listen, you say, Pastor David, 
I have been persecuted against. I have been railed against. I have been spoken against. They have taken action against me as a Christian. Where's the relief in sight? Here, we're seeing the end of the world. Believers are being killed for their faith. And John is just saying, listen, here's the patience. Here's the faith of the saints. God has your back. Ultimately, our victory lies in Jesus. And regardless of how we die, we reach victory in eternity. Amen? The Antichrist may overcome them physically, but will never overcome them spiritually. Amen? Has no opportunity to do so spiritually. The Apostle John has given us great detail about who we call the Antichrist. He's the beast from the sea. And now we see him encounter another beast. So there's the beast from the sea, and now we see another beast. And who is this? It is the beast from the land. Verse 11 says this, And I saw another beast. This is another beast. This is not the Antichrist. This is another beast. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Verse 12, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So we have a second beast, and this second beast has a mission. Say mission. He has a mission. The mission is this. It is to point people toward worship of the Antichrist. It sounds familiar. What is the mission of the Holy Spirit? It is to always point people toward the worship of Christ. Here, this second beast is who we refer to as the false prophet. The second beast is the false prophet. He is the last member of the unholy trinity containing himself, the Antichrist, and the dragon who is Satan. This unholy trinity, remember, Satan will always try to imitate or replicate what God does. Satan will always try to imitate or replicate what God does. The unholy trinity is just another example. His playbook never changes. He is always trying to imitate. He's always trying to replicate. Why does he do this? Because he's a big dummy. He's a big dummy, amen? Somebody reminded me last week, well, he's clever. Remember, the Bible says he's clever. Yes, he is clever, and he is tricky, and he is cunning, but he's still a big dummy, right? And he's a big dummy because even though he understands that in the end he will lose, he is trying to win anyway. He is trying to bang his head against the wall trying to figure out how can I beat them. And if possible, he will try to take many, as many down with him as he can. His goal, I, I think, it's, it's an interesting thing because if he knows he can't lose or if he knows he can't win, his goal is just to get you to lose. That's what he does. That's his mission. With this false prophet, the imitation and the replication continues. So we have a false prophet who is pointing towards the Antichrist, and he says this in verse 13. 
he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now, what does this mean specifically? We don't know. We don't know if he's actually if he's actually calling fire down from heaven or if this has to do with technology and missiles and all the sorts of different products that are out there today. We don't know specifically, but we do know that he performs great signs. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth, listen, by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. This is that verse 14. That's what I told you about. Verse 15, listen to this. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. And the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The false prophet will perform miracles or so-called miracles, signs, and wonders. This false beast, this, this false prophet will cause miracles, signs, and wonders to happen. They are counterfeit to the miracles of God. This is why as Christians, we need to be so very, very careful that we are not following signs and wonders and gifts, but we are following the giver. Amen? Signs and wonders will deceive. They will deceive. You say, Pastor David, this is referring to the tribulation. This is referring to then. Signs and wonders will deceive today. I know many so-called prophets or ministers of God that perform signs and wonders, gold dust and angel feathers and, and false jewelry. Listen to me. Signs and wonders that deceive. Jesus is speaking about false prophets in Matthew chapter 7 when he says this. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 7 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Go next slide. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We have to be so careful with who we put our trust in when it comes to these things. There may be prophecy, signs, wonders, all things. Jesus says, whoa, 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 I never knew you. I never knew you. It's not to say there's no legitimate prophets. It's not to say God doesn't work in signs and wonders. But there are many out there deceiving people. There are many out there deceiving people. These who, who do these things, they claim to come in Christ's name, but in reality, they are con men and women. They are charlatans. And of course, again, we believe there's true prophets. We believe there's true prophecy. We believe there's true signs and wonders. And so we have to examine them closely. This false prophet of the tribulation appears to have real power. He appears to have real power from on high, right? But his power is from Satan and will wreak havoc on the church in the end times. How does he do that? 
how does he wreak havoc on the church in the end times? And this is where we get into some really interesting and maybe a little dicey territory. We've talked about this a little bit before, but start in verse 16 of Revelation chapter 13. It says this, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their foreheads. Verse 17, And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. How many ever heard of the mark of the beast? We've covered this before, but now we see it in action. The mark of the beast. Remember, first, that this is happening during tribulation. If you are a pre-trib believer, you gone, right? This isn't happening while you're here. This is happening after you're gone. It is not happening now. Let me repeat that. This is not happening now. I want to be very, very careful here. Because there's a lot of people that, that, that are believing a lot of things right now. 2020 has been a weird year. Amen? been a weird year somebody asked me well this would have been in march if they thought this was the judgment of god i believe this is a wake-up call i do i do believe it is a wake-up call for a lot of people it is a wake-up call for a lot of things not just in the area of sickness but government it is a wake-up call for a lot of things. I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on this. But when these things start happening, when the book of Revelation starts coming to life and we start seeing these things with our own eyes, I don't think we're just going to be at home to Netflix and chill. Right? We're not just watching Hallmark movies. Not that I would anyway, right, John McMurtry? <laughs> Shelly's like, they're his favorite. <laughs> When these things happen, it will be clear. This is, the mark of the beast, is not happening right now. What is happening right now may pave the way for it. Let's be honest. What is happening right now, technology-wise, may pave the way for it. But what is happening now is not the mark of the beast. To those who say it is, or that it could be, they have to reckon a few things. One, there is no indication in the Bible that the, that the mark will happen before the tribulation. None. There's no indication in Scripture. How many know if all, of, all else fails, we follow the Scripture? Amen? We don't follow our opinions. We don't follow news opinions. We don't follow the talking heads. We don't follow no matter what denomination they come from. We follow Scripture. Amen? That's what's important. So number one, there's no indication in the Bible that the mark will happen before the tribulation. Two, this is important. This will not be done in secret, but it will be done in the open. It will not be done in secret, 
but in the open. The Mark of the Beast will be a program instituted by the world government at that time. It will require you to have a visible mark on your forehead or your right hand. It will not be a secret mark that is given to you through a vaccine or a flu shot. Amen? Come on, at some point, Christians have to use common sense. We can't follow every conspiracy that's on the books. The mark of the beast will be a program instituted by the world government at that time. A visible mark on your forehead or your right hand. Now, there was a, uh, you may, many of you probably saw this story. I believe it's a company in Minnesota that began doing injections into people's hands so that as they go into a building, it unlocks doors, it gets through their, their banking information would be in there, things of that sort. So a microchip is injected into their hand, into their body, to where when they walk in, they don't have to unlock anything, it just they go right through. Sounds pretty convenient, right? If you want to talk about some really interesting stuff that can lead toward the mark of the beast, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. I mean, I, I, listen, I'm not afraid of technology. I remember, uh, you know, it used to be credit cards were the mark of the beast. UPC codes were the mark of the beast. How many know, how many remember Procter & Gamble was a tool of the enemy? Right? They're using satan. everything is satanic with Procter & Gamble. So any product, Christians were just burning their stuff. Get rid of it. I, listen, I, it's funny to me, but it's true. I know Christians who won't eat devil's food, devil's food cake. How many, how many uh, ever had devil's food cake? You know what that is? It's chocolate cake, right? So you have angel food and devil's food. One's white, one's chocolate. Interesting stuff. Listen, the mark of the beast in, in tribulation that we see, forehead, right hand. Again, this is an imitation of what God has done. An imitation of what God does because God puts a seal on the forehead of believers in Revelation chapter 7. God puts a seal on the forehead of believers. And so all the devil does is imitate. Why does he imitate? He can't come up with anything original because he is a dummy. He is a dummy. He is a dummy. Jocelyn's laughing. He is a dummy. The third thing we need to understand about the mark of the beast is this. That when it happens, the false prophet will have a number associated with him. Now, if you've read ahead, you know that this number is the number that is associated with evil. How many can guess what the number is? Wow, you all said it. I'm surprised. 666. I remember watching a stupid comedy show years ago and there was this little boy and it was it wasn't it was it was a grown man but he was acting like a little boy he was five years old and his name was damien if you know the name damien it has some uh film value there but his name was damien and they were trying to figure out they were in a catholic church trying to figure out if this boy was demon possessed and they said what's your name and how old are you and he said my name is damien 
and I'm 666 years old. And so that was the joke because 666 is the number of evil. And everybody, Christians know, right? Avoid 666. Don't go anywhere near it, right? How many ever heard, this is weird. I just learned this by studying this this last week. How many have heard, heard of something called 666 cough syrup? You ever heard that? This is a real cough syrup. It's a real cough syrup called 666. I'm surprised nobody, <laughs> I, looked, I had to look it up. I never heard of it either. There's old pictures. It's been around 100 years called 666 cough syrup. Man, verse 18, listen to this carefully. Here is wisdom. What does that mean? It means listen up. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number for it is the number of a man his number is 666 now here is wisdom this is an indicator as to who this man will be braxton it is an indicator as to who he will be as to who this false prophet will be now the number may indicate his name it may indicate his origin or it may indicate something else the truth is at this point all we can do is speculate And there is a lot of speculation. It's interesting. If you look at some certain commentaries, I look at Guzik's, uh, I find it interesting. Uh, some of this is found there, some of it's not. In Hebrew, the number 666 can be used to spell out the name Nero Caesar. Some commentators observe this. There are six Roman numerals. I, V, X, L, C, and D. If you add them up, you get 666. Can it get more confusing? Yes, it can. One commentator named Poole said this. Listen carefully. That as 12, the square root of 144 is God's number. So 25 is the square root of the Antichrist number, 666. And by this enigmatical expression we are caught that antichrist should be a political body that as should be affected the number 15 as god seems to have his church affected by the number 12. that's what that moron uh, sorry that's what that guy wrote <laughs> forgive me that's what that guy wrote trust me if you do a deep dive into that number you will spend hours there trying to figure out what does this mean who is this You were looking at various theories. And listen, all confusion aside, it seems that when the time comes, understanding the number associated with the false prophet will be crucial in identifying who he is. When the time comes, right? Until that time, we shouldn't be scared or even concerned about that number. Because in truth, it is just a number. Amen. I was at the grocery store. The person in front of me got a couple items. Steve, I kid you not, their bill equaled $6.66. Ever been there? The person flipped. They added something to their bill. They paid more money unnecessarily. So that their bill wouldn't be six, six, six. 
Of course, the brand, the cough syrup, nobody's ever heard of, 666 brand. I, I know many Christians who will say, I'm not taking that. No, no, it's cough syrup. It'll make you better. Yeah, but the number, right? Can I tell you, that is nonsense. It is nonsense. Man, person got so weirded out about it too. 666, it's the devil. It's in this chapter we see a clear picture, or at least a clearer picture of the Antichrist, of the false prophet, of the mark of the beast. There's a lot of imagery. There's some speculation. But they are real, and they will be here during the time known as the tribulation, right? And so I like what this says. This is what we have to remember. Imitations work precisely because they are similar. If they were so obviously different, it would be easy to tell the difference. If they were so obviously different, it would be easy to tell the difference. We must be aware of the imitation and be familiar with the genuine who is Jesus Christ. Amen? We must be aware of the imitation and familiar with the genuine who is Jesus Christ. Please stand with me this morning. Set your eyes upon Jesus. Amen? Set your eyes upon Jesus. What are the words next? What? Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I forgot that second verse there just for a second. But we set our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And the worries about coronavirus will grow strangely dim. And the worries about my family and my job and everything else will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. If we just set our eyes upon the Savior, we won't be led away by imitation, but we'll, be, we'll fall in love with the genuine. I always found this interesting. If you ever, if you ever uh, read this about people who look for counterfeit bills. People who look for counterfeit bills, they don't study counterfeits. They don't examine counterfeits. They study the genuine. When they look at the genuine, they study the genuine. They know every part of the genuine so that when they see a, a, a counterfeit bill, it's easy to recognize. Let's not focus on the Antichrist. We don't focus on the false prophet. We don't focus on the dragon. We focus on the genuine. Amen? 
I love this. The key to all of this is we don't worry about the Antichrist. We don't worry about the... Listen, it's, it's, it's interesting stuff for sure. It's really interesting stuff, but it's nothing to worry about. Are, am I, am I, Pastor David, am I going to be here for it? Are we going to be here for it? Don't know. Be exciting to find out. Man, to know we're in it. We're in it. Man, it's, it's happening. This is all happening. We're, we're just a few short years away from all of being able to shake the dust off my feet and all this junk being done. Being glory with God. Hallelujah. If we're here, we're here. If we're not, praise the Lord. Amen. And so we put our focus on the Savior and risen King this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can set our eyes upon you this morning. Lord, I thank you that even though this, this is interesting and it gives us an awareness of what's going to happen in, during this time, let us keep our focus on you during the time that we live in. Let us keep our focus on you in our word and our conduct. Let us keep our focus on you in our thoughts and in our actions with our neighbors and with our spouses and with our children and with our relatives and our loved ones. Lord, I pray that our focus would be on you this morning. As we leave here, as we go back to work tomorrow, as we do the things we do preparing for Christmas, let our mind and eyes be focused on you. Jesus Christ, the giver of life, the giver of good things, and so we don't focus on the gifts, but we focus on the giver. We thank you for leading us and guiding us. I pray over those who are watching online as well as those who are here this morning. I pray that you would bless and keep us. Lord, that you would cause your face to shine down upon us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us rest as we set our eyes and our focus upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Hey, uh, in about five minutes, the men who are here for the men's chorus, meet me up here. Uh, the rest of you, remember, we do not have service on Wednesday. God bless you. We'll see you next week.